Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. Jordan, does President Biden want to cancel student loan debt? He seems to be getting into getting into the idea. Jordan Weissman covers the economy for Slate. I called him up to talk about these rumors that Joe Biden is about to forgive a huge chunk of American student loan debt. I was curious about what was happening here because President Biden, he has never been enthusiastic about this idea. My impression watching the Biden campaign that he was kind of bullied into the idea of promising to cancel student loan debt by Elizabeth Warren, who was like, I'm getting rid of this on day one. Barely even. I'd say he is like grudgingly suggested he might sort of do something possibly. <laughs> that was sort of his his stance. <laughs> no um, promises. Yeah, no problem. But basically, during his campaign, what he said is he would be open to canceling up to $10,000 of student debt. Oh, and by the way, Congress should do it. Right. That was the key. He's like, if Congress will do it. And I mean, Congress was not going to do this. After getting elected, President Biden stuck to his guns on this, even when voters confronted him with emotional appeals. Hello. Good evening, Mr. Good President. Student loans are crushing my family, friends, and fellow Americans. Me too. Early on in his presidency, he had a town hall uh, where this young woman asked a question about student debt forgiveness and, you know, whether he would do something along the lines of Elizabeth Warren's plan to cancel up to $50,000 in loans. What will you do to make that happen? I will not make that happen. And Biden just flat out said, I won't do that. No. And his logic at that town hall was basically like, I don't want to give away money to someone who went to Harvard or Yale. He kind of made it about a class thing, right? Yeah. I mean, that was his rationale. If Joe Biden has been delaying taking some kind of major action on student loan debt for years at this point, why do you think he might actually do something now? Uh, Because his presidency's agenda is in tatters. That's sort of, so, I mean, right? Like, that's that's the, the real talk version. I mean, most of what he wanted to do is just dead in the water. Today on the show, Congress may have forced Joe Biden's hand when it comes to student loan debt. Is that a good thing? I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. 
This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So do me a favor, Jordan. Can you give me a way to picture student loan debt? Like, how big is it? Do you want me to, like, try to give you how many bank faults <laughs> it would take to hold all of it? <laughs> kind of. Um, it's $1.75 trillion. It's around there at the moment. Um, the federal share of that is a bit smaller because there's still some private student debt outstanding. There are about 40-something million borrowers at, at this point, which is, you know, a good share of the young people in the United States. I guess the simple way to think about it is after mortgage debt, which kind of just totally swamps everything else, is by far the biggest source of debt in the U.S., next to student loans, right? Hmm. It's more than auto loans. It's more than you know credit card debt. And student loans are basically the, the second largest source of consumer debt at this point in the United States. And since the beginning of the pandemic, this debt has been kind of on ice, at least at the federal level, right? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've frozen payments. <laughs> and mean, no like, interest either. Yeah, so student debt payments have just been on pause since the pandemic started. And, you know, my joke for a while was just that, like, they shouldn't forgive the debt. They should just continue to keep the payments paused forever and ever. <laughs> they should just keep <laughs> kicking it down the road. Because no one really seemed to care. Like, right, there's just, like, no political reaction to extending the debt freeze. But within Washington, there's this kind of groan, like, oh, God, we're really doing this. It, when they extended the freeze until, like, August my feeling was that it wasn't whether or not you thought it was good policy or bad policy. You, you sort of had to admit it was very funny policy. Like, it did, like whether you were for it or against it, it was just a a really ridiculous situation that this was kind of how they were dealing with it. You mean because they were gonna theoretically have to renew this like right before there were midterm elections, and they just kind of kept doing it. <laughs> exactly right. Like, are you really planning to? tell people that they have to pay in August of an election year, really? Like, no, clearly that wasn't going to happen. So it was getting a little bit absurd. And I think the the Biden administration finally, just like the, the sense of shame must have caught up to them where they were like, we, we have to make a decision here. Have Americans gotten used to not paying this debt? I'm sure a lot of them have. Yeah, I mean, it's been like two years. Like, some people are going to be really angry when they have to pay this debt again because, you know, their $200, $300 a month is going to be coming out of their pocket that wasn't before. Whether you think forgiving student loans is a good idea or not, everyone can agree the rollout of this potential policy has been haphazard. It started a few weeks back during a conversation with the Congressional Hispanic Caucus when the president mentioned that debt forgiveness was something his administration was taking a closer look at. That left his press team scrambling to explain exactly what Biden meant here. On Tuesday, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki confirmed Biden is considering taking executive action. And we have talked about how we are looking at and he is looking at other executive authority uh, options he has to bring relief to uh, people who have student loans. Um, so that's what he conveyed during the meeting. yesterday. There's a part of me that just thinks maybe Biden just like 
kind of opened his mouth about this because it was what was on his mind and like there wasn't really a plan to like maybe this is just he kind of opened his mouth and suddenly we're doing it but anyway we've we we're just sort of here now and talking about finally doing this thing that's been on the left's agenda for for many years at this point at least since occupy wall street and ten thousand dollars has always been the figure that biden's talked about when he talked about relieving student debt like when you talk to someone like elizabeth warren she was like first day in office, I'm going to sign an executive order to relieve $50,000 worth of student loan debt. And Biden's position was always like, "Uh, not that much, right? So it's a little bit of a, I don't know, compromise number. It is. And to people who went to graduate school or a an elite nonprofit school, went to an Ivy League school or Ivy Plus, like $10,000 just doesn't sound like very much. It's like, oh, it's one-sixth of my tuition for a year or something. Um, but I think one one useful way to think about it is that if you forgave $10,000, you'd entirely wipe away the loan balances for about one-third of borrowers, right? Wow. So around one-third, you'd, you'd just totally eliminate them. And then about one-half of borrowers would see their balances either wiped out entirely or cut by at least half. Right. Hmm. So another way to say that is about half of borrowers with outstanding balances have debts of 20,000 or less right now. So, you know, everyone in that bucket would see a substantial reduction in their debt. Um, So it it does eliminate a lot of the loans that are on the books. It sounds small to some people and activists don't like that number because they want something much broader. They want to see all this debt wiped away. But it's not a tiny act of forgiveness. It's it's not negligible by any means. And you've pointed out that it might actually help the people most in need, people who maybe took on debt and then realized they couldn't finish school for whatever reason. And so they're kind of on the losing end of both things. They have a lot of debt, but then they also don't have a degree. So this would, you know, boost them, which might be really important. Right. So one of the big questions about student debt forgiveness is if you're going to do it, What's the best way to kind of target the people who need it most? One way to go about that, and it seems like the Biden administration is sort of thinking along these lines, is to try and target it by income, to have some sort of test for how much you make, and people who earn over 150000 or whatever aren't eligible. And in theory, it makes sense. The question is whether or not the government is actually positioned to do that administratively whether or not the Department of Education really has the capacity to pull that off, considering it doesn't really have access to our tax data. And so forgiving $10,000 is a pretty good way to help out that class of American, those those people who've kind of gotten a raw deal, without giving away too much to the corporate lawyers of the world or the the surgeons of the world. More progressive lawmakers are still trying to get with Biden and convince him to do more here. Like we've had reporting in the last few days that Chuck Schumer and Elizabeth Warren and Raphael Warnock are, you know, wanting to meet in the White House and just make the case for more. And I was I was struck when I heard how public some of them were being. Like Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock, he gave a commencement address at Morehouse, and that's a college where You know, of course, in 2019, the commencement speaker paid for everyone's college. He said, you know, for this class, I will pay for you. And apparently when Warnock spoke. Sadly, as I close, I'm not 
able to announce to you as one commencement speaker did, <laughs> I can't pay off your loans, brothers. But I am pushing President Biden to cancel student loan debt. So it seems like a pretty public campaign here to really hold Biden to something that he's been pretty clear he doesn't want to go big on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there has been. Uh, Chuck Schumer has been pushing this from the beginning of the administration very hard. Yeah, and it makes sense that Warnock would. His constituency includes a lot of black voters who you know, are struggling with this debt. Uh, so it's not shocking that they'd want to push as hard and have, and if something does happen, have their names sort of attached to this. I think politically it makes sense, especially if Congress isn't doing a lot else that people are excited about. You can sort of at least say, hey, I fought on this issue and got the White House to deliver. When we come back, the downside of eliminating student debt. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I think a lot of people listening to this podcast might hear, you know, Joe Biden's considering wiping out $10,000 or more of student loan debt and think, that's great. Like, what is the downside here? So I think it might be useful to lay out some of the arguments against canceling a chunk of student debt. First, I'm wondering if we can talk about the political argument. Like this is being articulated by strategists like Paul Begala, who showed up on the Bill Maher show. He basically said canceling student debt would piss off the working class. I I went last week, I spent uh, Wednesday last week uh, in Chicago with the Machinist Union. Not one of them came up to me and said, gee, I really hope you take my tax dollars to pay off the debt of somebody who went to Stanford. Right. I wonder what you make of that argument. It's probably true to an extent. There are definitely some Americans who see this and say, hey, I never got that benefit. Why aren't I getting any money? Or some people who say, hey, I, I paid off my loans. Why are these people getting their loans paid off? And they feel it's unfair. And you can see J.D. Vance already using this in his Senate race in Ohio, kind of nudging at people like, you know, the Biden administration wants to fund the elites, send money to colleges where, you know, then he can make it about they're teaching about critical race theory. Like it just opens up a whole mess for him to talk about. And I think the the response from you see on Twitter to that a lot is like, oh, people who think that they had it bad so everyone else should have it bad, too, are horrible. I don't love engaging with the argument in the end because it's just people feel how they feel. People have very strong emotions about the word debt. And moral judgments. 
Right. And it's just, it's baked in, right? It's just like for a lot of people, they are going to react poorly to this. And I, I don't think there's any way to escape that. I think, you know, the question is like, how do the majority Americans feel and how do like swing state voters feel? Most issue polling on this actually is pretty good. It seems to be a roughly 50% plus issue. Sometimes some polls show there's wider support for it. And even among people who don't have college degrees themselves or college debt themselves, right? Yeah, because they know someone who's struggling or they have a, a, a child who is struggling with it. I mean, there's, you know, it's, again, like such a high percentage of Americans go to college now that this isn't really a niche issue. So it, it seems to poll decently. I've never seen it pulled just like in swing states, in battleground states, which ultimately is what really matters politically. How does it pull in Wisconsin or in Georgia, et cetera? You know, that, that's really the, the big question. I don't think there's a clear answer on that. So the politics of it are like, are messy. They're messy. I don't think there's any way around that. It's going to really excite some people. It's going to really piss some people off. And it's kind of a gamble. I don't think anyone really knows how it's going to work out in the end. But the question is, like, how badly does Biden want to do something to excite his base? And how good an idea does he think it is on the merits? There's also the argument that if you made people start paying their student loan debt, it might help with inflation. And forgiving the debt might somehow keep inflation high. What do you make of that argument? Basically, it's true. The question is magnitudes. Our problem with inflation right now is that consumers are spending too much. I mean, that's part of it. There's also the supply chain issues, but that's colliding with just like there's a lot of demand in the economy. There's a lot of money floating around and that's helping push up prices. So the most obvious way to deal with that is to take money out of people's pockets. And student debt payments are basically a tax. They remove money from the economy and they you know send it back to the government's coffers. And on the other hand, if you forgive the debt, that's going to make inflation a little bit worse than it otherwise would be. People are going to have more money to spend. The question is like how big a deal that is. And I've seen various estimates. It's probably it's a difference around the margins. It's not going to like make or break our inflation issue right now. Some estimates I've seen are like maybe a half percentage point on the CPI. The consumer price index. Yeah, exactly. So instead of having like 7% inflation in a year, just to pick a random number, if you made people start paying their student loans again, maybe that would drop it down to... 6.75% or 6.5% inflation, right? Like that, mm. that, those are the kinds of estimates I've seen. It's not like a huge difference, but it's a difference. And I think the other thing to think about is that there isn't much upside economically right now, like in a macro sense, right? Like if people used to talk about forgiving student loan debt as like a good economic policy because it would be a way to stimulate the economy and it would do things like help more people buy homes because they'd have more money in their pocket, they wouldn't have as much debt. Right. And so they'd be able to spend elsewhere and, and rev things up a little bit. We're at a point where we don't need to stimulate the economy. If anything, like the Fed is trying to slow the economy down in order to bring down inflation. So, you know, stimulus is kind of counterproductive right now. So you're not going to get like, a lot of the economic benefits that people have kind of talked up over over the years just probably aren't going to materialize. So it's really about just like helping individuals with their financial situation, which is like that's a fine policy goal. Right. Like everything doesn't have to be about macro. It can just be about making like certain people's lives better. But it's just like that's another thing to keep in mind. There is a pretty convincing moral argument against forgiving student debt that I want to talk about. And this argument is that if you do this, if you say, OK, student loans, you don't have to repay them up to some amount of money. It only fixes things for the people who already have student loans. And there's a whole line of people each year 
going to college, taking out loans, and getting saddled with debt. And so it doesn't really do anything to fix the larger problem that we're inflicting on generation after generation at this point. And I wonder what you think about that argument. Yeah, it's true. That might be like the most serious policy flaw here. This is a one-shot deal. It doesn't fix any of the fundamental issues that are plaguing the way we finance higher education in this country. It creates a lot of what you call a moral hazard, right? <laughs> like you just you forgive a bunch of people's debt, and what you've just done is it, it creates an incentive for schools to encourage kids to take on more debt. I guarantee you that if this happens, some for-profit college marketers are going to tell students, potential students they are on the phone with, hey, it's okay if you borrow a bunch to go to our school because the next time a Democrat is in office, they're just going to forgive the loans. Like that that will be, I, I, I almost guarantee that's going to become a pitch. It's so easily foreseeable. So yeah, there, there are dangers to doing this as a one-shot deal. And obviously it also opens the question, well, what are we, what now? Like, You've just basically admitted that the entire way we finance college is such a wreck that we have to forgive a lot of the debt and that this is something Democrats are going to potentially going to do in the future. How do we reform it? And how do we reform it when Republicans are probably going to have to come to the table to pass anything? The fact that you're not fixing the fundamental issue, you're just kind of putting a, a Band-Aid on it. You know, it, it's one of the reasons I kind of think of this as like C plus C policy at best. It's not a long-term solution in any way, shape, or form. There's one more thing I want to talk about that's a potential problem with this loan forgiveness, which is that Joe Biden, as we said, he can't get things through Congress. He would need to do this through executive order. But the risk in doing that is that there's a chance this isn't legal or that it'll at least be challenged in court. And so there just might be a lot of question marks around, is debt forgiven? Is that okay? What happens next? Right. Lawyers and law professors and people like Elizabeth Warren have argued that the president has the authority to do this on his own, thanks to a piece of the Higher Education Act that uh, authorizes a student loan program that allows them to settle and compromise, quote unquote, on any debt, right? The idea is like, if someone is having trouble paying a debt and they have to go to court and you're just trying to get part of it back, you can strike a deal with them. You can forgive part of it, you know, and if that means you're going to get 75% of the loan or something. And it was it was pretty clearly meant for that kind of circumstance. It, it was designed to deal with individual cases, not like mass forgiveness this way. Not trillions of dollars of debt. Right. Like exactly. Like it just it's it's very obvious to anyone who reads it that like this was not the intent. But taken literally. It, like, if you just read the text, like, yeah, you can see where there might be an opening for this. It sounds a little dicey. It's always sounded dicey to me. And the Supreme Court has long had this, essentially, a policy, you know, which they call the elephants through mouse holes rule, right? Which you're not, spo- <laughs> you're not supposed to try to, like, fit an elephant through a mouse hole, like some huge right. policy you want to, like, you can't find, like, you're not supposed to look for some tiny loophole and then try to push some massive spending agenda through it. Like, that's, and the court is just like, no, th- that's not what this was written for. And there was, that was an Antonin Scalia classic. So you could sort of see the court pushing back on, on that basis. Given all the criticisms you just laid out one by one, and there are a lot of them, to forgiving student loan debt, how do you feel about this as a potential policy? Yeah, I've gone back and forth on it um, a lot. <laughs> I think I was on another podcast. I was like, I'm sort of in favor. Um, and I think 
I'm torn about it because the thing is, our higher education system has victimized a lot of people. I believe I've said this on your show before, but my main argument for why student debt forgiveness wasn't a bad idea, at least as part of a bigger reform of higher ed, is that for a lot of years, the federal government has essentially acted as a like as a predatory lender. It's been giving money to people to go to schools they should not have been going to with no questions asked about whether they'd ever be able to repay those funds, right? Like mm-hmm. that's, and it has the ability to like garnish their paycheck if they can't make the payments, right? I mean, if anyone but the federal government was doing that, you'd say it was loan sharking or it was, yeah, it was, it was predatory. And a lot of people have suffered as a result. There's no question. And so, yeah, I think that the federal government has something to atone for there. Has has something it needs to fix because it it aided and abetted all of this, but at the same time, just doing it unilaterally without fixing any of the fundamental issues is just like such a bad way of going about it. I mean, I guess like I'm kind of in favor of it, especially since so little else is happening. Probably going to happen in the administration, but like I can't say I'm strongly for it. Like it's sort of like I'm. I'm genuinely ambivalent um, because just doing this without any larger reforms is just, it's a tough call, I would say. And the only reason I think they are, again, in this position where they're really seriously considering it is because so much else that the agenda has failed. Jordan Weissman, thank you so, so much for taking the time. I'm really grateful. Thanks for having me. Jordan Weissman writes about the economy here at Slate. And that's our show. What Next is produced by Carmel Del Shad, Elena Schwartz, and Mary Wilson. We are getting a ton of support these days from Anna Rubinova and Sam Kim. We are led by Alicia Montgomery and Joanne Levine. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go say hi on Twitter. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you back in this feed tomorrow. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.